Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this April the 10th in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and Easter is over. But there was such a wonderful occasion on Easter that the thoughts that we had in the Easter sermon, I want to kind of continue as we look at the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth Sundays of Easter. So what we have to say right now is something very important, and that is, what was Easter all about? Now, I have preached Easter sermons for 50 years. So you can imagine that it's kind of hard to come up with a new item every Easter. Now, I I could have redone, I guess, some of my Easter sermons, but my problem is, is that my sermons are also very particular in regard to the congregation where I am preaching. So I say things that that congregation is interested in or are working on. So it's really hard to pick up an old sermon and just preach it because it's not a general sermon. It's usually very specific with the congregation. So you can imagine after 50 years, what am I going to preach on Easter? And I came across something, a little bit about it last week, but I really want to expand on it because I think it's very, very important. And it fits with the second Sunday of Easter, which is April the 16th, this coming Sunday. And the readings are from Acts chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 1, and John chapter 20. You're all probably quite familiar with John 20, when Jesus meets the disciples on the evening of the resurrection, and Thomas is not there. And the text goes on. Thomas shows up a week later, and Jesus asks him, you know, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But first of all, I want to tell you the theme that I preached on Easter that I'm going to be using during the next Sundays of Easter. There are three ways in which religion is found in the world. And this helps us to answer the question, are not all religions the same? Don't they all have the same purpose? Don't they all have the same roads that get to heaven? And I spoke about the three kinds of religions that occur. The first religion is saved by knowledge. If you only knew 
what that religion teaches, then you are saved by the knowledge. For instance, Buddhism is a good example of that. It has an eight-fold path to how to become righteous and has other such things. What's interesting in Buddhism, there really isn't a prophet or a god that saves you. It's very important to understand that every other religion in the world is different from Christianity because only Christianity has a person and not just a person because the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit and angels can be considered as persons, but it has a human being who saves you that is also God. Try and find that in any other religion in the world, and you will not find it. So different religions have different roads. There is a commonality among religions, and that's what gets people confused, because most religions say they believe there is a God. Most religions say that humanity is important. Most religions say you should be kind to your neighbor. And that's why a lot of people have the impression, well, it really doesn't matter what religion you follow, because they all have the same road that leads to salvation. And the first one I talk about is knowledge. If you only know something, then you'll be saved. The second kind of religion you find in the world is that of works. If I only do what is pleasing to God, then he will save me. That that is really found in most religions outside of Christianity. Unfortunately, it's also a concept within the Christian faith. I mean, you hear Christian pastors say, you are not being blessed because you're not doing enough good works. Or you're not sure that you're going to be saved unless you do these good works. And this is so sad because work righteousness religions are also totally false. They do not understand God at all because God does not regard an unbeliever as able to do any good work at all because good works are measured not by the deed or the word or the thought, but by the motivation. And an unbeliever cannot have proper motivation because he's an unbeliever. In other words, the only proper motivation is that of trusting in Jesus as a person. Then there's 
one other kind of religion. We've already talked about those who say you are saved if you get enough knowledge. Then there are those who say you are saved because you do enough good works. The third kind of religion, you have to have an experience. Now, this is sad because this is found also in, well, congregations where you do have Christians. For example, some time ago, I enjoy visiting other congregations that are not Lutheran to really see what they're preaching about and what they're saying is the way of salvation. So I attended, as a visitor, a charismatic worship service here in St. Louis. And when I walked in, most of the members were crowded around one woman who was a visitor. And she was being told that if she was able to speak in tongues, then that would show them that she was saved. Now, when they say speak in tongues, we're not talking about the tongues at Pentecost. Because if you go to Pentecost, you will find that the tongues were known foreign languages. In other words, they were able to speak the message of Christ in languages that they had not been trained in, but the Holy Spirit gave the disciples that ability to speak in foreign languages so that the many people who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover could understand the right message. In the charismatic church I attended, when they talked about speaking in tongues, they referred to the gibberish of angels as though there was an angelic language. And if a person could start speaking that, then they would have other individuals there who would be able to interpret what that person was saying. Because when the person spoke in tongues, well, guess what? They themselves weren't sure what they were saying, so they needed an interpreter. That's an excellent example of those who have to have an experience in order to be sure that they are saved. And that experience was speaking in tongues. Another example of experience would be even Christian churches that teach you need to make a decision. They interpret John 3.16, and we've used this a number of times on the program. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You see, that's the part that God did. But the verse goes on that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. They say that that's our part. We have to make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ. But when you stop and think about that, 
How can a believer make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ? No, that, that's ridiculous. They have to first receive faith from the Holy Spirit. Then they believe in Jesus Christ. Then they're already saved. Yes, they then can become doing good works in the area of what we call sanctification. All that sanctification is, is a response on the part of a believer to what Jesus has done for him in dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. Namely, they receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins through faith. And that faith is not a decision that they make. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So to really summarize well, the Christian faith is different to some degree than those who say, well, you're saved by knowledge, or you're saved by works, or you're saved if you have a particular experience. And then you can look to those items as the assurance of your being saved. But you see, knowledge in and of itself doesn't save. When Peter was on Mars Hill, he spoke to very, very intelligent philosophers and people of all kinds of religions. And he didn't talk about the wisdom of man. He talked about one person, Jesus Christ. So this was the point of the Easter sermon, that in contrast to every other religion in the world, Christianity focuses on a person who did things to save us. And the first thing he did on his road to saving us was to become incarnate. What does that mean? Well, he became a human being. He was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is God, but he also has another nature. He is also a human being. You find any other religion where they say, simply trust this person and you will be saved. No, there is no such religion. Even Allah for Muslims, which is definitely a religion of works. You don't trust Allah because Allah gives no promises of the assurance of salvation. Muslims have no idea as to whether or not they're saved. Now, they have some teachings in the Quran. For example, if they execute an unbeliever, there's a good chance that they will receive salvation. But those things are really rare in Islam. 
So what we have are three religions or three religious approaches. Either you better get knowledge or you better do good works or you better have some kind of experience. Christianity negates all of those. And the best example of that in the Christian faith is the baptism of an infant. The infant may only be a couple of weeks old. What knowledge are they receiving that they can understand and say, yep, that's what I believe? No. Number two, what works does an infant do in order to be saved? They're a sinful human being prior to baptism. But at baptism, they receive two gifts. The gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? That means that they have received faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a holy sacrament, a holy thing that God uses to transfer the benefits of what Christ did on the cross to even an infant. And what experience does an infant have? It has only the experience of being baptized. Now, that definitely saves even an infant, but it's not something that the infant worked on. It's God who does the action. The pastor may be standing there putting water on the child three times in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But boy, that is God's work. It's not an experience that the child fostered or created. So even though nobody is saved by getting knowledge or by doing good works, having an experience, those three items are found in Christianity. For example, knowledge. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe his promises. That's what saves you. And what is one of his promises? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so even though you have false religions, uh, such as the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, who teaches that it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, as long as you believe in a God, then we're all going to the same place. That is heresy. And for someone to belong to the ELCA is to belong to a false church. 
In fact, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, has already in convention declared them not only not to be Lutheran, but not even to be Christian. Now, there's still Christians in the ELCA, but they are ignorant of the teachings of the ELCA that are heretical, thinking that knowledge saves. But the knowledge that one receives about Jesus is a trust in his promises. Now, Jesus was once asked a question about works. Uh, the question is, what works, uh, and that's plural, should we do in order to be saved? When he answers the question, he uses the singular word, work. He says the only work that saves you is to believe in him who has been sent. And of course, Jesus is referring to himself as the son of man. In Daniel, the ancient of days is God the Father, and he sends the son of man, who is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to earth for one purpose, to redeem the world. So the only work that God recognizes as salvific is trusting in a human being named Jesus who died on the cross by paying for our sins and rising from the dead as an assurance that those sins have been forgiven. And do we have an experience? Yes. When you believe in Jesus, your whole life can be an experience because God is keeping his promises. For example, we use this often, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God, who trust in him. Now that is clearly found in the readings for the second Sunday of Easter. In 1 Peter 1, verse 8, here's what Peter says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. There in First Peter, it's so clear that we don't see Jesus like the disciples did on that night of the resurrection, but we still love him because of the faith given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we believe in him and therefore have an experience of rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. Has that not happened to you 
particularly in some worship services where you're singing favorite hymns, hearing a great message, going through a liturgy that is very comforting. And this sustains your faith, which means you are saved. Notice in the gospel from John chapter 20, though Thomas was not there at Jesus' first appearance uh, before the disciples, he says, well, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. But eight days later, the disciples were again together, and this time Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. That's the word of salvation. Then he said to Thomas, Oh, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, remember what the Bible says next? It doesn't say that Thomas did what he was asked to put his finger in his side. Instead, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. That's what Easter is all about. You are saved, not by knowledge, works, or experience. You're saved by Jesus Christ. More on this tomorrow when we look at the hymn. Until Listen then, to Law and Gospel each God weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.